Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hi there, welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast. My name is Paul Fraser, and so glad that you jumped on our podcast today. We just want to say a big thanks to all of you that, you know, month after month, you're downloading our podcast. We just so appreciate it. We love doing this for you, and we love sharing stories and what we're learning about church multiplication. Our guest this week is Harold Gutierrez. He is the British Columbia Yukon District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada Intercultural Director. Wow, what a mouthful. But he's got so many great things to talk to us about cultural language group ministry and churches. We've got a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters that have come around the world to help us reach Canada. And Harold's got some things to teach us, some of the things he's learning, some of the things he's sharing. And you're going to love the interview, and it's coming up right now. Very excited to have our second U.S. citizen on the Multiply Network podcast. Harold, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself to us? You're fairly new to your role in the British Columbia Yukon District as the Intercultural Director. Why don't you tell us how you got there, maybe a bit of your history and uh, your passion for intercultural ministries? So um, I uh, I came to Canada three years ago um, from North Carolina. Um, I come from... Miami, Florida. That's where I grew up. My parents and my whole family come from Colombia. I was the first one in my immediate family born in the U.S., so I'm second generation. And me and my Armenian-Canadian wife um, moved to Vancouver three years ago um, to pastor a Latino church. Initially, I didn't have a passion for intercultural ministries. It was just a time where I just didn't want to put God in a box. And since I was bilingual, I just said, Lord, um, I know you want me into in the ministry. So uh, I want to be in the pastoral ministry, whether that's English or Spanish. Um, I'm here to serve. And the door opened up in Vancouver for a Spanish-speaking church. So I pastored there for about two two and a half years, um, and then it was about this time last year when there was a transition in the district office for the position that I hold in to oversee our cultural language group and indigenous uh, ministry initiatives. And so we felt the, the Lord calling us to that as a result of my two and a half years involved in a Spanish-speaking church, I, I just, um, that just really confirmed my, my love for, for the nations. And, and I've always had a, a, an affinity to relate and sort of, um, I like to call it jumping cultures for the gospel. That's incredible. And what a story you have, you know, coming from uh, you know, the U.S. finding your way here to Canada. So glad you're here. Had a chance to hang out with you uh, at a conference in the States. Got to get to know you and hear your heart and thought, 
uh, need you to need you to jump on the Multiply Network podcast to talk about some of the things you're learning, some of the things you have learned, and maybe we'll start here. Where are you finding leaders and how are you developing them? I know that church planting is a part of it, church multiplication, making disciple, making communities, part of your role. So where are you finding leaders and how are you developing them? So um, our leadership pipeline right now is going through a little bit of a transition. We have um, very good um, leaders, mature people um, that have a burden for uh, their language group. So we have a little bit of a mix here. And um, in the six months that I've been here, um, I am finding, uh, as we think multiplication, we're finding um, that the probably the most ready leaders um, really are those that have already uh, taken into pastoral duties in their own churches, but they don't have the title, you know, um, as you will probably discuss later, the leadership structure in our cultural language churches is, is not as broad as our uh, North American churches. So, but we have found that there's a lot of quality people in these churches that have already been given a role, a responsibility uh, within their church. It's just they don't have a, a strong title. So I feel that those are the ones I'm tapping into. And uh, in terms of training them, uh, this is a, a pilot program that I'm developing called Pathway School of Ministry. And in reality, it's taking the model of what our churches in the U.S. are doing, especially the larger ones where they have a school of leadership inside the church. So they might create an avenue with a college or university to offer some coursework, but um, the student remains involved in the local church. So I'm taking that concept and adapting it to our cultural language groups that are all concentrated in the lower mainland here in BC. And um, try to, we've been, we're going to be able to offer some of our courses from Summit Pacific, our POC college, but um, trying to rally their senior pastors to say, hey, give some of these guys apprenticeship in your churches so that we can buy practical and, and theory right. for a couple of years to create more of a thorough um, learning experience for them. And so what are some of the competencies you'd like to develop in in these leaders that that you obviously you're getting to meet some successful cultural language group planters, you're noticing some things. What are the things that you're noticing in them that maybe you'd like to replicate in others? Yeah, um that's a great question. I think that um uh some of the strengths of our uh cultural language uh, planters and leaders uh rely more on on the perseverance and the grit uh, that they sort of harness right. and walk in their calling. Yep. Uh, a lot of them by vocational, uh, heavy work schedules, not a lot of resources, and yet they find a way to um, do something, even if it's in a very small scale. Wow. Um, and so we really want to replicate that. But also I think that the concept of um, plan, calculated vision, 
uh, is something that at least the ones I'm targeting, the, the ones that I like to call emerging leaders, I want them to sort of tap into that. So it really is a, a DNA where at the very onset of their training, we're already helping them to think uh, as a visionary, where do you want to go in five years? Do right. you want to stay ahead of the game a couple of years with planning, not too much dreaming. Dreaming is good, but but more so in the planning, grounded, systematic uh, progress. So that's what we want to sort of replicate then to, to combine with, I think, uh, the persevering aspect that a lot of our cultural language planters and leaders have. And just, and I couldn't agree with you more, that grit, that tenacity is needed in planting. And I find it sometimes it develops quicker in a bivocational or a co-vocational type plant because you're, you don't have the full week to, you know, plan a service and develop leaders and and be evangelistic and and strategize and plan you've got to maximize your time you're tired at the end of a day of work and you got to come home and do another four or five hours of church uh, I love that about our cultural language group planters um, I just don't know how you teach it other than just doing it yeah and that's the thing um so me being uh well, growing up in, in North America and being saved in a North American church, I wasn't really involved in the Latino church. My family were in churchgoers. So I, even though I, I'm part of a cultural language group and a lot of my fellow Latino planters have that greed and tenacity, like I didn't learn that because, you know, I, I grew up in a context where I will. I have never been able. I have never had to go by vocational in my ministry. I've always been, um, you know, just full time. And um, so I just think they just bring that with them. And 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 when I go overseas, I I I, I can see where they get it from. You right. Know? Uh, just uh, if they don't have, if a lot of them don't have a lot of resources here in North America, you go back to the places of origin. There's really nothing. It's, um, you know, a group of people sometimes in a tent in the yeah. field, but they don't stop at that. They don't see that as a as an obstacle to ministry. They actually see that as the perfect um, venue or avenue for uh, the spirit to move. Yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah, getting back to that, I think um, we've got to learn from the world. I think we've uh, you and I on the on the trip talked about church planting movements around the world. Don't plant churches like we plant churches. Now we understand North American context is different and and all of those things, but I think there's something to be learned from our cultural uh, language group churches that that we as the Canadian Church need to embrace. One of them is grit, tenacity, their love for prayer, their you know incredible. A sense of community often. Now, sometimes when you're, you know, and you and I have chatted about this, sometimes when you're too too close in community, it can split things quickly. And so there's some things that, that I think we can help to in the Canadian church or cultural language group churches, because they are here in Canada wanting to plan a church, reach out to Canadians. 
uh, mm-hmm. new Canadians or those who've been here. Uh, so we see them plant quickly, but sometimes they have a hard time, uh, you know, staying sustainable. So what do you think we can do as a movement to really support our cultural language group planters to to be sustainable long term? Yeah, um, I think there is one area where, you know, and and be holding a district position, um, you know, I, I realize that we can uh, really, really help uh, some of our cultural language planters with uh, is administration. And by that, I'm not saying that they're not administrative because a lot of them are, but, you know, policy, charity laws, I mean, even for me, it's like I don't have the mind or the time to delve into like a policy document. Uh, it's it's like sort of like uh, irrelevant for me, even though I, I, I have to do that as, you know, a ministry leader. And I know for them, they that, that might be an area where like we uh, as, as as a movement um, and we're trying this at the district level here where, where we're saying, hey, we we want to coach you into, um, we want to help you sort of survive and, and understand the, the charity uh, laws and, and, you know, uh, all of that stuff, reports, accountability, AGMs, um, yep. you know, like we can help you develop a culture of transparency and accountability. Yeah. Because one thing, uh, that happens a lot in in outside of North America is that uh, there is not a leadership structure that relies on accountability. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of the leadership structure in our churches overseas rely in authority. So it's the guy at the top and no accountability. Yeah. So now our system, you know, for charities uh, harness that like. They they want us to report. They want us to have AGMs. Yeah, our cultural language planters might have difficulties with that. And I think we can. That's one practical way that I see we can actually help them with. Um, just coming alongside and coaching them on laws, on accountability, um, and also give them resources, give them participation in 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 our events. Um, yeah. Uh, I know some of them don't attend, but, but even the, the, the idea of, Hey, we want you to be a part of this. That's so much for them. Right. I, I think also too, in what, you know, when I was a district person doing something similar to what, what you were doing is, is helping them also understand the Canadian context is different. Evangelism mm-hmm. in Canada is different than, you know, wherever uh, they had that come from and found success, great success doing that, uh, you know, from their place of origin. But coming to Canada, mm-hmm. finding that it's a tougher grind, you know, post-Christian culture. How have you helped, you know, uh, our cultural language group planters who are phenomenal leaders navigate the Canadian context? So... Uh, one of the things that we are working uh, hard to develop is um, uh, a comprehensive strategy for intergenerational ministry. So what that is, is, um, you know, just going off what you said, 
this is a post-Christian, post-truth society, um, even more so than the U.S. I, I myself sometimes go through a little bit of a culture shock. Um, you know, that is so strange for them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, so foreign yep. that um, they just don't know how to cope with that. And so their kids, though, grow up in this kind of society. Right. Um you know, they are imposing the grid, the love for prayer, the three, four-hour services, the evangelistic crusades, thinking, oh, you need to replicate that. But, um, but you know, we're, we're trying to get together with boards and leadership teams and say, this is what uh, a post-Christian, post-truth society brings to the table and how it affects the way of thinking of your children and young people. These are the needs, you know, and things that the gospel, uh, in a way, will always fulfill a need, a spiritual need, but also a physical need. I think that maybe in this area of the world, physical needs or material needs might not be top of the list, but yeah. there is an existential need that it needs to sort of come in and 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 and, and fix. So um, I, you know, what I'm trying to do is, is is do workshops to you know help them comprehend that. And you want them to be more than a one generation church, right? Absolutely. That's, that's the idea. It's like so. One of the things we've talked about before uh, is to you know have a English-speaking service at some point. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be right away. Develop community, develop your systems. But for the next generation, uh, they're going to be wanting to, you know, they're speaking English, they're learning English, and want to have some of those some of those things. But, but there's challenges, isn't there, with our cultural language group planners? We talked about a few of them uh, having to work, uh, not having a fully paid vocational position. Um, what are some of the other challenges that, that our cultural language group churches face that that maybe we, you know, as the Canadian church don't understand and that we can come alongside and support? Yeah, well, one of them is, um, and it sort of goes off the workload that they, that they go through, is that they, uh, for the most part, are going to have a limited uh, pool of potential leaders. So they're gonna be forced to do a lot of things on their own. And that that I know causes burnout um, in a lot of them. Because, you know, they they have to be able to, to, to everything. They have to be, I used to joke that uh, in the two and a half years that I passed through a cultural specific church, um, I, I, the only role I didn't hold was the women's leader. Uh, and, there, and sometimes I feel like maybe I needed to go in into the women's group and, and also teach because there were no workers. Yeah. Um, so I think that just like we create a culture of transparency, also like help them see the benefits of delegation. Yeah. Help them see the benefit of uh, replicating themselves. Um, then we can help with that as well, you know? Yeah. Burnout's a big deal, especially for bivocational planters. I actually think bivocational, um, 
planting is going to be a, a huge part of our future. Uh, what do you think we can do to help them uh, and other bivocational planters uh, not burn out? Like, do we need to shift the model? Do we uh, need to lower expectations on what, you know, uh, uh, church service looks like? Or, you know, do we need to move away from that? Do we do we move to a microchurch model? Like, what do you think we can do to help our bivocational planters right across the board not burn out, see their churches grow, and uh, and see people reached with the gospel? So, um, you know, I always uh, believe that um, in order to sort of um, overcome burnout and pulpit sickness, um, you, you need to be connected and plugged in. So a lot of these guys sometimes uh, cannot even come to conference or cluster meetings because they're bivocational, you know. They, they have to work. Right. Uh, a lot of those meetings are usually hold weekdays, mornings, right. evenings, yep. you know. And so I think that, again, I'm, I'm speaking from a district perspective. We try to be intentional in reaching out to them and saying, hey, let's get together. Let's go out. Let's talk. Let's get a few of you guys on an evening after you're done working and maybe have a prayer meeting. Yeah. Um, you know, and build that trust because you want them to share. Yeah. You want them to, to, to be comfortable saying, hey, you know, I'm just struggling to keep up. And something that I have always done since I came is, is always tell the pastors, pastor, it's okay if you take a break on a Sunday. Yeah. You know, and I'm here. If you need me, if you need a, if you don't have a replacement in your church, I come. Yeah. I'm going to come. I'll give you that break. You don't even need to be there. It's okay. Um, yeah. And so just sort of creating that avenue so they feel supported, you know? Yeah. They feel part of us. Yeah. And, and, and I think that feeling a part is really important. And we have, uh, I would say, a number of churches in our fellowship that have started multi-sites or campuses that are cultural language group churches. And trying to make them feel a part uh, can, be, can be a challenge. And, but you want to support them. I guess there'd be some senior pastors that I've talked to that would say, what can I do to help support our uh, multi-sites or campuses that are cultural language group churches? How can we make them feel apart? Even though the, the style might be different, the model might be different, the feel might be different. And, you know, so it's not just, you know, importing what they're doing onto a cultural language group, say, do this. They're giving them some freedom. So how does a senior pastor then support these multi-sites, these new disciple-making communities? Yeah. Um, so a lot of that has to do, um, and this is an ongoing, sort of like an ongoing learning curve for me as I delve into more and more material and models of what I like to call cross-cultural ministry. For the most part, our larger churches that feel like they want to tap into a cultural group will say, well, I just, you know, I'll go and I'll try to connect with 
a person from that particular cultural language group and say, hey, here's a building, um, you know, my chapel or ancillary facilities and run a service on Sunday afternoon. Uh, sometimes they don't even charge them rent, which is great. I, you know, that's always right. applaud that. However, um, it almost feels like, okay, just go ahead, do it. And, you know, we'll, you report to me whenever you can. Um, I think we need to switch to a more of an internal cross-cultural strategy where, um, you know, I, I, I look for that person, that worker, that planter, that can help me reach that cultural group that I cannot. And those people with a style of worship and, and church life that sort of matches their, 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 their cultural uh, views and values. But I'm going to see that as a very integral part of our broader church life. So the parent church, to call it like that way, will see this cultural specific ministry, not so much as something on the side, but something that is constantly adding right. to the life of the church. So that means um, invite that person to leadership, uh, uh, you know, meetings, invite their input, showcase them in your service, in That's your great um, thoughts, in your, um, you know, uh, websites, um, you know, give them a little bit of a platform. I know some of them might don't, might not feel comfortable speaking English, um, but there's ways to, to sort of, but we need to be intentional. It's like, we were at the CMN conference last week and, you know, they are pouring into the Spanish church planters. Of course, the U.S., that's, there's almost a huge part. 20% of the yeah. U.S. population yeah. is Latino yeah. um, and growing by, by each year. So I think that they were intentional. I think that wasn't something that the Latino leaders came to them. I think from the very beginning, the people involved with CMN said, hey, here's a need. We need you. We want to replicate successful churches in your context. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, here are the tools. Here's the platform. And they showcase them. You saw them. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. yeah. So I, we can do it at the local church level. And, and this is not the church that is renting from me or is using our facilities. This is a church that is adding to my church life by reaching a cultural group yeah. that I can yeah. Now, the balance to that is often cultural language groups want to be a bit separate. Right. You know, they still want to have their identity and, and that's fine, too. But I really like that intentional focus to bring them into the broader ministry and vision of the church while still allowing them to have some, you know, self-governing aspect to it, but still be accepted. I think that's that's brilliant advice. Uh one of the things too, obviously, Canada's very multicultural. You and I have talked about the fact that a big reason why we haven't seen a huge decline in our churches is because uh, charismatic uh, people from around the world, charismatic Pentecostal people from around the world, are filling our churches, uh, not necessarily coming to be saved, but already saved and have a life changing experience with Jesus from where they where they lived and where they come from they 
you know, now filling our churches. And so that's helped our attendance. That's helped us not uh, decline a lot uh, to, you know, to the point where we'd see, you know, bigger numbers there. How do we now then honor the cultures that are coming to our church while still, again, uh, still have the mission of reaching Canadians that are that are living here. How, how do we do that? There's some churches that I go to and see, you know, 60, 70 flags of uh, people representing nations around the world. I think it's beautiful. I think it's a picture of heaven. But how do we honor them all and yet still stay focused on our Canadian uh, Canadian mission to reach people far from God? So part of 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 that 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 is what you just your question there sort of puts in into perspective what i what i think is the greatest potential for a cultural specific churches how to bless the land where god has brought them right and actually we we see that in the scriptures the scripture that pops to mind is in jeremiah um they are about to go into exile and God tells Jeremiah, tell my people that they are to pray and seek the peace of the city that I'm bringing them to, mm-hmm. to have children, to to sort of be almost like become uh, an agent of blessing. Right. Now, what I like to uh, tell our cultural language churches and groups is that though you honor those cultural values that you've brought and, 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 and they're beautiful. They're, they're, they might be different. They might sound different, but they are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you are now in Canada and God brought you to Canada. So I think that we need to, it, it's almost like a, we need to help them see that because sometimes in in their zeal for cultural preservation, I feel that they don't give much attention. They they sort of act as if though they're still back in their home countries. Um, now, what I will do a lot of times in, in in the two and a half years that I pastor a local church was that I will take into account and 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 I had to do this uh, intentionally because I'm not Canadian. And my wife, though a Canadian citizen, didn't grow up in Canada. Uh, so I had to learn about the important dates, the civic uh, holidays. So July 1st or, you know, Canada Day weekend, um, you know, we will put all the Latin American flags in the background and bring for the Canadian flag like up front. Yeah. And we will have prayer for the nation, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, and so sort of like teaching them to honor those things because now they're part of Canada. Right. They're, they're here. Yeah. And if we tell them it's not assimilation, this is not cultural assimilation, but this is you are fulfilling God's purpose because he brought you here. That's a great You're perspective. seeking the peace of this city. Yeah. If you're intentional about that, I think you can sort of bridge that cultural barrier and you know, reach native Canadians. Yeah. I, I think you make an excellent point there because I've often said to, uh, you know, pastors and leaders that have come over, I said, you're actually an answer to our prayer. Mm. We've prayed that God would send workers 
into his fields and uh, here in Canada. And, and I tell them, you, we've prayed for you. Uh, my grandma, when she prayed that Luke 10-2 prayer, she was praying for you. I've prayed for you, that you're here to help us reach Canada and bring the, bring the good things from your culture that are going to work here. See it as a, as a missiology that you're here as, as, a, as a, uh, a missionary to Canada, uh, being sent from your home nation and, and help us reach Canada. I think that's a great perspective. And I think that's a great thing, I think, for our, our pastors and leaders to honor and yet encourage and challenge to help them see, hey, you're here in Canada to be a blessing. I love that. And, and you know, uh, that, that in itself, it's, you know, for a lot of them, will, will, the knee-jerk reaction will be, well, um, you know, uh, the thing is that I'm Latino, I'm Korean, I'm Chinese, that's, that's all I can be. Uh, but when you see it from the perspective of this is your mission, this is your ends of the earth. Right. Um, God brought you here uh, to fulfill a, a purpose. Then um, at that moment, uh, when God asks us to do something so many times, we're going to feel like we're not ready or we don't have what it takes. But because our love for the Lord and our love for the call upon our lives is so big, we strive to learn them. We strive to adapt. Right. And so if they, they see a missiological perspective in their migration and in their planting a, a church here, uh, you know, it's that, it's that love for God and mission that should help you to overcome wow. um, basically your, your inability or feeling like, you know, you, you can only reach your, your tribe, so to speak. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, Harold, this is all fantastic stuff. And uh, I hope to track with you more on this. I know you're brand new in your role. Uh, I know that uh, you're learning Canadian culture still and trying to figure stuff out. Uh, we, we do appreciate the time you've taken today to help us understand um, our cultural language group, churches, planters, what they're facing, how they're, uh, how we can support them. Any final thoughts for us? Any encouragements to us as a movement? Uh, I think I think we need to just really throw gas on this fire of uh, mm-hmm. cultural language group planting as we see 200, 300,000 people immigrate to Canada every year. We've got to have a plan. We've got to have a strategy. Any final thoughts for us? Well, the more I, I walk in this role, the more I realize that as a man of, of two worlds, you know, Latin American family, North American upbringing, North American spiritual heritage. Um, I feel that uh, the greatest contribution I can have for the movement actually is with the non-cultural language groups to instill in them a love and a passion and a burden for cross-cultural ministry. Right. And um, I, what I can say in terms of encouragement is that if we look at that story of Peter and Cornelius, you see two men that are so apart from each other in terms of cultural upbringing and values. And yet God is at work in both of their lives as they're like 
one in one place and the other one in right. the other. And God brings them together for a spiritual conversation. Yeah. Um, and so that can happen here in Canada. It should happen um, where, you know, people from different worldviews can actually be drawn by the Spirit of God together to have significant uh, uh, spiritual conversations that will lead to salvations, to callings, to church planting. And, and so I'm here to serve the movement in that area. I, um, you know, uh, I want to just, not just to say that my influence is not, or my service is not only for our, for our district. I think nationally, uh, I'm willing to, to console to be here to be consulted in these matters, uh, do workshops on missiology, on cross-cultural ministry strategies. Um, you know, it's time for us to to embrace and, and harness the fact that we become a multicultural country. And that's good, you know? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really great. Harold, love your servant attitude, love your heart. I know you have a lot more in your in your uh, in your mind that that we didn't get to today, but uh, we'll, we'll be tracking with you. Thanks so much for jumping on today. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me anytime.